Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now, the Rathband Tapes. Episode 8. Guilty. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to the Rathband Tapes. My name's Tony Horn, ghostwriter to the late PC David Rathband in Lancashire, England, in South Australia. David's twin, Darren. We're reviewing the entire story, including many bits you've never heard. And we're doing so aided by audio that I recorded as I made notes to pen David's memoir, Tango 190. We'll start there today. Thursday, the 10th of March, 2011. On the charge of murdering Chris Brown, how do you find the defendant? asked the clerk. Not guilty, replied the foreman, to gasps in the courtroom. On the charge of attempted murder of David Rathband, how do you find the defendant? Not guilty. Ness was punching the air, beaming from ear to ear. Conspiracy to murder? Not guilty. It was getting louder and louder. The chip shop robbery in Seton Delaville? Not guilty. A wan was now filling his boots, his pants a distant memory. Possession of a firearm? Not guilty. The verdict had come at speed, getting faster and faster like those trains in the timeline that Sally Brown and Kath had described back on day one, coming to an inevitable crash. On the fifth count, I even interrupted the foreman. So hypnotised was I by the monotonous rhythm banging the drum of deceit. And then we went through the whole lot again for a wan. The result was the same every time. That, thankfully, Darren, didn't happen. But it was the fear that David would take to bed with him 
as we were closing in on the verdict for so much of the trial so calm and so confident and composed but any human being is going to have sleepless nights as we approach the verdict and of course some of that meant visitations from Moat himself I had, um, I had a visit from uh, Mr Moat uh, which hasn't happened for a few days or a few weeks actually it's the first time since the trial started he's, he's come like to visit me and I did I was awake at four o'clock and it was it was quite funny because I said like yesterday when I was in court I was I was actually seeing a blue sky with clouds in and it, it's dead hard to explain because I, I can see images that aren't real images if you know what I mean they're mm. pictures in my mind and when I was in court yesterday when the judge was summing up all I could see was a blue sky with there were one two three there were four white puffy clouds and it was lovely because obviously I thought that I'll never ever see a blue sky and here I was sitting in court and I could see the loveliest blue summer sky with four clouds. You can imagine, can't you, if it's the night before the verdict, Darren, how many times the same scene and that scene not going your way would would come to you. Oh yeah, that would have been that would have been torture for David. And along with that, Tony, he'd be revisiting. 30 seconds before he got his face blown off by that coward. So he's going to be living all of that. And th this is where you look at the victim, the police officer, and a witness. David, like every other body or every other person that goes to court, to, to actually go into a court building and give evidence uh, it, it, it certainly isn't an easy place to be uh, and i've done it as well I, i've given evidence for something that i was subjected to here in australia and it, it's a horrible place to be one the fact that you're put on back into that position you've got the stress of that and and the belief that nobody believes you when you know it's true because anybody well, I would certainly suggest if you go into court, swear the oath, you, you're going to tell the truth. And as a victim, and I know that's not always the case, but predominantly you go in, you give your evidence and, and hope that uh, either the judge or the jury believe you. And that's not always the case. And the consequence for a not guilty verdict after everything that we've been through, really revolves around this. I mean, you imagine in 15 years' time, you know, Kath walking face to face with him. And that is a phrase that we used in one of the earlier episodes, they'll come again. It was six minutes to three on Friday the 11th of March 2011. I'll read again from the book. They didn't call it over the tannoy, instead Detective Chief... Superintendent Jim Napier came for us personally and ushered us into the courtroom where we could barely take another moment in our little room so suffocating and oppressive had it become. There wasn't any of the nervous laughter of yesterday. We knew this was it. And when one thing that tension does is it can provoke extreme reactions. So you can have that scenario 
as I outlined a few minutes ago, where David imagines that they're all not guilty. But then you can go rational again. It's just seven months I've had to build this portfolio of lies ready to answer any question. And that's him slightly more upbeat and slightly more confident. But as as you sit there waiting, you know, David said to me, it would have been naive to think that there would not be another dramatic twist or a surreal turn to the events. It's a case where the surreal is very high on the list of dramatic elements. And we are in an underworld here, small town crooks in Newcastle who've committed a big atrocity. I think if you look at everything else, the only thing that went quite well or extremely well was the court case. Everything else was just, just it should have been played under the big top. I believe that's fair. And I believe that we have been fair to outline errors, oversights, and point out where Northumbria Police in particular have been excellent. In some of the narrative around this case, there are some people connected with it that still bang the drum that it was a faultless operation. I don't think that's rational thinking. David said to me he was almost desperate on the morning. He told Kath, I can't go today. He was white like a ghost, sick with worry, shattered with no more than half an hour's sleep inside him. And that tension and angst would test even somebody who, as Darren reminds us, has played that role of the policeman, the witness and the victim so perfectly in court. Darren, this is what David was mooting with Chris Clark, his family liaison officer. Please don't hold me responsible when they're convicted. I will shout up and shout something like, enjoy you bastards. And then he said, David, you can't. He says, you've come across as being really professional, dignified. He says, it'll get reported and people's estimation will go down of you. I, said, I did. I said to him, you're exactly right. But it's sometimes worth having a little rehearsal, talking that moment through before you sort of rein yourself back in to be that dignified policeman. But who wouldn't, who wouldn't deny him those words? Uh, do you know, uh, and I think what would have stopped him doing it was his um, thought about letting other people down. Because if it wasn't the fact that Chris Clark had mentioned professional. I don't think David, and this is what I would think, so I'm hoping I'm not far off what David would think. If it was just down to David, he would have stood up and shouted it, but he would have took the, the prospect of making other people regret that he said more importantly. And you're right, who, who would have held that against him? I did mention in a previous episode, chicken wraps and badgers hats, that some of the seating in the courtroom was unhelpful. David did, I understand, get not too far away from Carl Ness at one point. And this was, in fact, that moment, really, that we're just talking about. This is what he said. As he walked past me, I managed to mutter, enjoy it, Ness. <laughs> and you may recall that... Um, you know, David referred to uh, Wan as a silly little boy who got caught up in in something. I did ask David 
if because of that he had any sympathy at all for a wan well he was a little boy a little nobody who wanted to be a big boy and uh, ness was already moats big hench right arm man and a wan wanted to be um, held in such regard and they've just basically done what they wanted to do because they wanted to be part of Ralmo's sick twisted plan summoning up all strength and awaiting that verdict these are seconds that hang in the air and do last an eternity we've all seen those talent shows you know where they announce people are going through the next round and it's like 30 seconds before they say the person's name and you get caught up in the drama of that moment this isn't drama this is real life and those moments are accentuated they last an eternity but justice had to be served i find it quite surreal the fact that when they talk about him every, well when they talk everything's based around Raul Mo, and you've got carl ness saying you know that's to say to ness who who said to go and get the shopping and uh Raul Mo did who had the gun Raul Mo did who said this Raul Mo did and it's only because he can't speak for himself because he was a coward it would have been nice to to see all three of them there and the nicest thing for me now like today is them both knowing i'm not dead and it's like me coming back to haunt them but i'm not the hunted anymore they're they're they are rabbits in headlights and they're hunt they're the hunted ones i was hunted on that night um and they've been hunted for the last seven months and it's now time for them to pay yeah, and David says that, let's just remember, not just for himself, but also uh, for Sally Brown, Chris Brown's family. It, was, you know, it wasn't a trial about what happened to me, it was a trial about what happened to Chris Brown. And, you know, he's he's the one that unfortunately lost his life to whatever I say. But, you know, you've got to remember it's, it's Chris Brown's family's day in court, not mine. I'm just a police officer. And there he is, back to his rational, brilliant, serving self. Underneath all of this, though, still that feeling that one person was missing from the trial. I touched on it with you before, Tony, about the fact that he'd taken that justice away from himself by shooting himself in the head. And I think if I... Well, I know what David said. David was glad that he, he was gone. And I think if you put it into perspective when david said that and you put into the also into that frame that the thoughts that david had about getting found not guilty i would believe david was quite happy that uh, moat wasn't there what i would like to add as well is that david actually did think that the sentences that they both got were substantial and possibly worthy of an appeal now i'm not sure if that's ever obviously if it's ever going to happen, because they've got a certain time and a basis for appeal. But David was really uh, quite taken by the length of terms of sentence that they were both given. Yeah, they weren't sentenced immediately. The verdict came in either. Um, they had to reconvene the following Tuesday. So there's a long weekend to think about this. This is the Friday that they are, of course, found guilty. Kath and David pretty much sunk to their knees when it came in a massive tick for restoration of faith in humanity there was no low baller there were no rogue elements if you like in a 
in a jury. David described a five-second pause that we were talking about as lasting 10 minutes when the foreman addressed the room. He put his eyes down, his head down, so the press wouldn't see. On the first guilty, he said, did I just hear that? And on it went, guilty, the foreman continued. It was a domino effect. He sat bolt upright. Ness and Awan sank to their knees, holding their heads in their hands. Get in, he said to himself. He said he could no longer feel his heart. There was a huge release in the air. Time stood still. Kath was sobbing into his chest. He looked down at the floor again. There were cries of yes all around some of ness's friends were in tears david said my body went from lead to jelly i could feel months of tension evaporating in a split second justice had been done and it had been unanimous the only exception was that a wan was cleared of a firearms offense david said he felt so light when i spoke to him that evening and you'll smile at this I hope everyone smiles. So I would record, and sometimes I would record as I ring the number. This is how we picked up the phone. Hello, Doral Tang Souls, can I help? Tango 190. <laughs> uh, hey! And a result, isn't it? But there is still a bit more that's surreal. In a case that has featured a TV survival expert and a former footballer. Darren, there was still place for girls allowed on the day that the verdict came in. Are you in knowledge of this? Do you have awareness of what I'm about to say? The only, the only thing I know about girls allowed, and I might even have the, the wrong pop group, is that when David went to Pride of Britain, he was sat talking to... I think one of them. Cheryl. Cheryl. Who's from Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Tweedy, the brother of Cheryl Cole, was being sent down in an adjacent courtroom for six years <laughs> for his part in an armed robbery of a post office in Long Benton near Newcastle. Darren's laughter there is not, the, obviously, to mock the seriousness of the offence. It's just, once again, we return to you couldn't make it up. And David joked... He could see how this would end. He'd be on the steps of the law courts later with girls allowed giving statements. Nothing would surprise him anymore. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's oh, just totally mad. bizarre. It's mad. Yeah. It, it, honestly, if if the Northeast could play back play back this event, because ninety nine point five percent of the people from Northeast are hard working decent folk and they they must have seen this as as just keystone cops from start to finish it's just mad mad some of the individual moments are embarrassing the accumulation of the moments when we look at them together are crazy but let's not lose sight of the fact if you want to sum up what this moment feels like when the verdict comes in remember what christmas eve was like as a kid in the episode two twins one story growing up in staffordshire growing up working class background council estate simpler times we talked about 
getting bikes for Christmas, etc. This really, this is Christmas Eve. And you know where you race around the houses collecting all the presents that you've hid? Retrieving them from the cupboards. I've just finished all that. So all the presents are out. And that's it. So you wait for the morning. It feels exactly the same as that, really. Christmas Eve, he said it was, uh, on that day, back in March 2011. He did have to appear on the steps of the the courthouse. The media interest was relentless. A huge symbolic moment for Northumbria police. And I make that point because for all the claims that the force let him down at various stages and indeed in time that we've yet to address... And Darren's quest to get confirmation from Sue Sim that there was a role for David in the force ahead. Nobody should lose sight of this iconic moment of him standing on the courts because that says hero. And some sections of the police in this country have a slightly troubled, difficult reputation. But you should look up to your police force as being heroes nobody should have to endure what what david went through but the value of him standing on the court steps with them being sentenced for a considerable period of time is a very very resounding image isn't it and whilst this story ultimately is about david And all the comedy and errors that we know. He placed Northumbria police there. Almost a slightly unreal shining light. Perhaps on a pedestal. As he stands there in his uniform to face the world's media. Yeah, and, and I think, Tony, what, like, I'm obviously going to be critical of what I think should have been done differently. But I'm also realistic enough to say that Northumbria did do certain things as well as could be expected. What what you've what you've got to try and keep a check on is it's David's a police officer, so the public would assume that David would get treated better than anybody else who's not a police officer. And I can categorically tell you that that wouldn't have been the case. As hopefully these podcasts will go to, into some detail to to prove, David would have had to give good evidence. If he hadn't given good evidence, they would have possibly been found not guilty, acquitted. And then on the back of that, the public have got to understand that if you don't help your police force, and I've been, like we've already discussed, I've been a police policeman for a long time, no longer serving. But they're there, they, they police by consent. And if the 98.5 of public don't get behind your police force, it turns into anarchy. And they aren't all perfect. They are under pressure, underpaid, under-resourced, and they need the public's help to do their job properly. And that's what David did from start to finish. And when we talk about the surreal, and when we talk about those people that tried to attend Moat's funeral, one of them having travelled from Weybridge, saying it was you know the best day out, 
There is one other element which nobody remembers, which emphasises that sort of dregs of society element. And that is one day David was going into court and a woman called Kelsey Donkin said something like, that's the policeman. And then imitated the noise of a gun going off, shouted bang, bang, as David's walking into court. Why people have been brought up or choose to behave like that, I don't know. But for everything that we learned through this case, there's still that shocking undercurrent within touching distance of, of, of David, which, of course, is the fear with a not guilty verdict that they will come again. A fear of a blind man, or a policeman who's now blind, knowing that people can do that, and what a position to be in. But obviously, what you've got to look at as well, Tony, for that imbecile individual in court, that's what keep the police in business. That's what keep the court in business. These people that are morally not in line with the rest of society, their compasses are offset, either through education, social background. But what I will say, when I came to North East, and David would have had, he had thousands and thousands of letters from all over the world. When I came to the North East, a taxi driver refused to have my taxi fare and said, no, you're the brother of that. Uh, unfortunate policeman that's been shot, uh, the, I'll get this one, refused point blank to take my money. There was a girl who I'm still friends with called Claire who brought me a bag of English chocolate all the way to the hotel because we can't get in English chocolate in Australia that well. She came from her home with a bag of four or five quids worth of chocolate, said hello, Here's, I brought you some chocolate. People stopped me on the street and I know people stopped David in the street. When he came here, Tony... Some, we were, took him out for a Chinese and somebody recognised him and wanted to, and came up and said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've got to say, you are such a lovely man. I'm, I'm thank, thank you for your service. So that for every bad, there's 20 decent. And that's what we've got to remember. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We've got to focus on the good. It's got to win. And David never lost sight of why he did the job in the first place. I think there's a, an entourage of people that have been involved and now, now that the wheels fell off, 
they're not big enough or man enough to stand up and say what they've done. They're all just scuttling like little rats. They are the reason why I joined the job, and that's why I enjoyed so much to lock them up. And not so much the fact that you take... I, I took lots of murderers off the street, but I took lots of people like Owan and Ness off the street. Although Raul Moat cost me my eyesight, I cost him 150 quid just to get his car back. <laughs> and that's the reference to the very first time they'd met when he was pulled over on a scrap metal charge, which I think was March 2009. When the verdict came in, Darren, where were you? Were you getting a, a live feed of it in Australia? No, I think it, it was much of the same, Tony. Um, the, the press coverage was pretty pretty low. Um, I, I probably found out a couple of, probably two days after, two days after that they'd got convicted. And what you've got to remember is I've come back and I'm, I'm back into work. I'm actually a police prosecutor, so I'm in, in court uh, prosecuting uh, stuff in South Australia. So I'm back into it, and obviously David's going through the stress and turmoil of his his case. We've talked about the prosecution team, QC Robert Smith in particular. Robert Smith gave David a big hug at the end and said, you will be with me for the rest of my life. Do you think that this is a case and a story where people, however professionally brilliant they may be, have at repeated moments stepped outside their professional cloak and left a mark on them that ordinarily they would have been able to shake off, but just couldn't because it was so devastating, so public, so graphic. QC Robert Smith would have gone on probably in the next week to lead a prosecution against somebody else. They, they choose a career and it's like David, nurses, paramedics, doctors, they want to help other people uh, and there'll be certain people along that path you choose that do stick with you for good reasons or for bad reasons. It might be the fact that the QC mentioned... Sh filling your pants and a chicken wrap because those things don't come up that often. And it might be the fact that David was just a police, a traffic policeman, unarmed, and he was left blind from this cowardly act. You do take certain things with you, Tony, and that's what makes the people that do these difficult jobs human. Otherwise, they'd be robotic. That's why they, that's why they mess up. That's why they make mistakes. And we have to be conscious of that and careful not to critique or criticise these professionals that make decisions under stressful situations. So David stood on the steps of the courtroom and I know that obviously some relationships with certain elements of the media were quite well formed. I think everybody was waiting to speak to him individually after he had addressed the group. But I know that we talk about the exhaustion, the fatigue. I know that as the moment came, David was getting less and less willing to do that. I think he wanted to just give one speech. I can't find the exact quote, but I think he said, I have a lifetime ahead of me. They have a lifetime to reflect, which I think is pretty good. Obviously... Those words echo 
knowing what we know now and the length of that lifetime ahead make those words quite sad and poignant but in the moment i think that was the right thing and they are still having their time to reflect and they still have any more time to do so yeah i think it would have been nice if you could have said i've got a life in front of me and they've got a life behind bars you talked about the the stress and the toll that this took on david it's something that i can measure over a decade later but at the time you know you can only be in the moment and go forward i think that since david was shot we all looked at ways for him to keep going and the trial clearly was a massive part of that is whilst it brought fear towards the end it was a massive reason to get up in the morning and continue continue with life but i think as we always say there are opinions that we had at the time and there are opinions that we have now and i did feel that the trial kept him going but you looking from afar and possibly based on conversations that you had in the autumn of his life when he is in australia you have always said that it took its toll on him yeah i i think knowing david and i think anybody that would sort of understand where he was he was he would have been adamant to see that part of that story closed be it guilty acquitted or whatever the verdict david was always going to see that concluded and i think if we look back hindsight's a brilliant thing to have isn't it if we look at these events then everything like you were saying trains colliding at the start of it at the end of it there was different trains on different tracks and they all collided so unfortunately that's a tapestry of life isn't it tony yeah and i think sometimes when you've got to get up day after day in an exhausting period of your life you only realize when it's over how exhausting it was and that does pose a question which is possibly a marker to the troubles ahead but when the trial ends that has been a massive part of his recent life that we then come back to that issue of how do we feel david's life i know that after the trial neil adamson wanted to take david through all the the full video of the arrest he was also supposed to be sitting down with northumbria police where he said to me they're going to tell me all the crap that they couldn't tell me before he's still learning stuff even at the the point of the the verdict sue sim wasn't there as the verdicts came in but i know that she rang absolutely thrilled and had been regularly updated in those closing moments but there's a void though isn't there when the dust settles and you're back to those four walls and you've got to work out what you're what your future 
is going to be now that that effort of the trial was is concluded. Yeah, come come night time, Tony. You you're inside your own home. You haven't got your family liaison officer in a spare bedroom planning your day for tomorrow. And remember, family liaisons officers, be it David's or anybody else's, they're police officers. So they're only going to tell you. Even David, I would I would suggest Chris Clark and Alison Brown kept certain things away from David because that's what their job is. They are a conduit between the investigating force and a victim. They don't sit down and tell you everything. And after the euphoria of that trial concluding, the reality of David's life, although it would have hit him well before then, comes back and tells him, hold on a minute, I'm now blind. What am I going to do? How am I family going to deal with where we're at now uh, on the back of what support people don't people don't people don't sit and tell you that we're going to be with you every day of the week and we'll do this for you we already know that a lot of that didn't happen for david and david would have been the first person to say how many visitors he he got to his house after he was shot was probably a handful so yeah the stark reality he's still blind and he's got a life to work out. And we'll come to this, I think, next time, the 15 minutes of fame, because this is mid-March 2011, and the very next thing where people will see David at is the London Marathon, which is traditionally pre-pandemic April. And obviously, anybody that's done a half marathon or a marathon, that takes up a, a colossal amount of mental and physical energy. But the truth is that with the trial, the verdict coming in March 2011, Darren, within 12 months, David's not here anymore. I know you and I always worried that that day was going to come but in the 48 72 hours after the verdict came in did did you did you speak to david did you have those immediate concerns that we're now in the rest of the life period no no not at that stage although it was a thought process that i like you you've just touched on that we, you had i had and I'm sure other people did, at that particular time, there was enough in his life to give him hope going forward. And I think as we go on with these podcasts, if we do get a chance to discuss the, the domino effect of things later on, then gave David uh, the, the will to end his life and not to go forward with where he was anymore. And I think that's what had the ultimate effect on david and why he took his life which is quite interesting because we spoke right at the beginning that we knew that day would come is there a sense now as we sort of encapsulate that moment at the end of the trial and we talk about you know the rest of the life it let's just ask this honestly could it could david's death have been avoided could there have always have been enough in his life to enrich his life 
or were we just delaying an inevitable? This may be considered not in my... I'm not in a position to say this, but I think if his marriage would have survived, he would have still been here. I think that was his biggest biggest thing, Tony. And, of course, incredible extra value placed on that as time goes on and people that come into his life at speed also depart it. You mentioned earlier that David believed that there might be an appeal. I mean, one thing I've never given thought to is, gosh, if there ever had to be like a retrial or... I don't even know how people prepare themselves for the exhaustion restarting a game when they think it's all over. But thankfully, you know, that that, that never happened. Tony, just put yourself in a position where David was or any victim of a, a murder has to go and listen to the details of how their loved one's been killed. They have to sit. They don't have to. But for that part of closure, and I'm sure the ability to process certain things, they have to listen to evidence in regards to how their loved ones came to their to their end. How can anybody be prepared for that? Yeah, once, far from enough. And remember, of course, as we've highlighted, some knowledge before you enter that courtroom, but also plenty of new knowledge when you're sitting there. Uh, listening to all the events because you are your timeline is part of other timelines that exist i think it's worth because we're about to enter that phase of of life now where things change and the things that change are that the roots come away the 15 minutes of fame lasts 15 minutes and the structures that have been the consistence in David's life, i.e. Northumbria police, home life, start to disintegrate. So we face this new beginning. Everybody knows what a Monday morning's like. And whilst the trial, the verdict came in on the, the Friday and they weren't sentenced until... The following Tuesday, sooner or later it's Monday morning again, and the noise, which has been a distraction in this case, the nonsense, is fading away. And a new cycle of life begins, and addressing that has to be that issue of David and Northumbria Police. Could Northumbria police have done anything in these moments which could have changed what was about to unfold? Was there a level of proactivity needed here, Darren, that perhaps we didn't see? Yeah, I think you're right, Tony. I, I think Northumbria police will argue that they did what they had to do, what's in the policy booklet, and we did everything we can. But I, I'm of the belief that they could have done, and I think the public think they could have done more as well. The fact that he'd had no counselling, yes, he may have said, I don't want it, 
but he should have been made to have counselling. It, 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 it doesn't take much intellectual nouns to work out. If you've been shot twice and left blind, you're going to need some counselling. And, and just FLO, Family Liaison Officer, how about a, like somebody there that can be there for you at the end of the phone or can come round for a cup of coffee and sit down and, and listen to your problems, listen to your concerns about the cane and your dental treatment rather than argue and fight for it. And I think that's what let David down. That's why David, I think that's one of the things that turned David as well. The fact that he felt like nobody cared out of the police service. And I think that's something that Northumbria Police and the 41 other police forces across the UK need to look at, looking after their own. Then They're not cannon fodder. They need to be looked after. I think the way to conclude that is to realise that whilst you might be brilliant as a family liaison officer, as David was, you might be a superb journalist reporting this, a wonderful QC running rings round the accomplices. Everybody else leaves that moment except for those most affected by that moment. And... It is a very good argument that whilst you, as a family liaison officer, regrettably will have to move on to other victims in the future, the argument is that you're needed for an eternity. You're needed for forever and a day. And we think that David was not offered proper counselling, but also was reluctant to that wasn't in his way to to accept that. Do you think that the intensity of the trial and the build-up to the verdict, do, do you think he thought he was actually coping because it gave him, whilst painful to relive it, he was, they were his last acts actually as a police officer, if you think about it, giving giving that evidence and when you're in the intensity of the trial you might well think that you are coping but a psychologist will say you're just compartmentalizing a trauma that you're not addressing yeah and i think that's right tony and i think that there is no that there can't be a disputed fact that david was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and he had no treatment no help no support he had, and I think I've touched before, his welfare officer who collected him from the airport from Australia had no training in welfare. He was just assigned the name, the welfare officer. He, um, he had no formal training in regards to anything to do with PTSD or welfare. Now, that should never have happened. Yes, David might have said, I'm tired. The, the consequences were, David killed himself. And prior to that, there was every message on Facebook that he was having a severe breakdown. Irrespective of marriage, he was, he was having a, a breakdown. Let's just end here on that moment where I rang him again and the verdict had come in. 
Tang- Tango 190. Uh, <laughs> hey! Next time on the Rathband tapes. But my intention wasn't to be a, a, a celebrity, as some people say. It was for a reason. So, remember, everybody has a story. To find out more, please visit secretsofaghostwriter.com and to comment on this episode, head to the Secrets of a Ghostwriter Facebook page. With thanks to Rob Jones at Ultimate Content, this is a Horny Media and Publishing production. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.